Hey science fans, I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline Podcast which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that, uh, is, that is created to communicate the many facets of water. So please, check out an episode. I've, uh, I've checked out several. I actually went back and listened to the very first episode, which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world, rivers, lakes, underground sources, and to see how, how delicate they are, how prone they are to contamination. This is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future, and I highly recommend this podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Thanks for downloading, everybody. All I'm going to say about this episode is that I hope I have a lot more like it. It was a fun one. You're going to enjoy it. Um, please make sure and go to the herewearepodcast.com website and uh, check out more information and uh, learn more about the work of Abigail Bigham and Jason DeLeon. Enjoy, everybody. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast. This is Shane Moss, and here I am today. This is a uh, this is a, a first uh unique in my effort to um, in continuing to change things up and do something different and unique each week we have a very first couple I, I noticed uh, I've been going around the country um, getting uh, all, all these academics and often what I'm finding is academics obviously they end up meeting one another and um, and making sweet love <laughs> and and th- this is um, what happened uh, here today. My my guests are uh, Jason uh, De Leon, National Geographic explorer. He's uh, uh, assistant um, uh, professor of anthropology here at um, the uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I'm I'm at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, uh, uh, sitting at a table full of a bunch of um, immigrants' shoes. Uh, right now, because he does a bit of archaeology work that we're going to be talking all about, and um, and his lovely uh, wife. Yes, uh, technically. W- uh, wife, technically. <laughs> I needed my papers, so she helped me. Uh, uh, awesome. <laughs> Officially. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Happily. We're going to talk all about that. Abby Begum, who is also an assistant professor of anthropology here at the University of Michigan, and, uh, and we're going to get into what each of them do. But uh, to start off, uh, let's talk about that. How did you guys uh, meet? Tell me. I, I want every, uh, every detail. <laughs> I pushed her hand into a cactus. Yep. What? It's true. And then I pushed my hand into a cactus. I never thought of it. You know, you, you read all of these tips on, like, dating and and um do's and don'ts on the first date and i didn't i i haven't read push someone's mm-hmm. hand and actually it practice. wasn't technically or no it wasn't at all a first date we were just sort of hanging about our friend's house our my first year in graduate school his second year in graduate school and i had recently moved from the desert from tucson arizona to state college pennsylvania and a friend of mine had a, a cactus garden in his window so Jason and I were over there Coyote cactus. perusing these cacti, and um, he managed to take my hand and somehow slap it onto one of the spiny cactus, and and then I offered to remove the spines. And uh, yes, and then yes. Oh, uh, that you you hurt a girl <laughs> and then you fix it. Yeah, I'll hold your hand and help you get those out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Uh, how long ago was this? Two weeks. Uh, <laughs> no. She, you know, I never know. You know. She never knows when we. Oh, that's good. That's Two thousand and. Who who says who says all these gender roles? Three. Nonsense and and the ladies always know and the guys don't know. He, guys, he's the two, keeper of the dates. Um, the keeper of the dates. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Yes. Yep. And um and when did you get married? I'm gonna get this right. Two thousand seven. Yep. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. All right. This is uh, you guys. You guys met the same year I started doing stand up. Yeah. Fantastic. And then you got married when mm-hmm. I was catching my big break. So we were all. <laughs> we were all like. Building lives together. Exactly. I was getting married to comedy. <laughs> my relationship. Um, it's a bit lonelier. Oh. It's a bit lonelier than uh, what the love that you two share with your spiny cactuses mm. and whatnot. But uh, I'm getting along. I I have to say I'm um, I'm just a tad uh, disappointed because I looked up some of your guys' stuff and I was. I, I sense this wasn't the case, but I was kind of ho- hoping um, for an afro uh, today, Jason. Yeah, used to have a lovely afro. You're looking sharp uh, now. I mean, she you're, hates you're, it. You're, you're a handsome man. Uh, what, That's you, a mischaracterization <laughs> of my feelings towards your hair. Wait, you hate his hair now? No. She hates the afro. No. Oh, hates the afro. Neither. Uh, you're indifferent. I'm a supporter of his hair in any shape or form that it Oh has. No, she's not. That's, that's, she, I know that's not true because yeah. people have strong feelings about afros yeah. one way or another. Dudes really like it. Women are like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to stick my face yeah. in that sucker. I'd get rough and stuff with it. I mean, it was, it was one of the It'll most be horrible back. afros. It'll be back? Yes. Really? It always comes back. I've seen many, inter- wow. many iterations of the afro. How how long ha, uh, does it take you to um, about eight months to eight get months. to get mm-hmm. kind of? I think the longest I've ever gone was maybe a year without cutting. Did it. you interview for your job at the University of Michigan with your afro? I cut it off right before. Uh, and then when I came, but when I came, everyone was like, "Where's the afro?" We saw pictures of you, and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't think I, they would hire me if I had that crazy hair. But well, it's not the uh, it's not the worst fear to have. Yeah. I mean, people do have that strong feelings about afro, so. So you guys, when you guys met, you were both at where at the time? Penn State. Penn State. And then um, when did you start, uh, when did you make the move to the University of Michigan? So we made the move first to the University of Washington in Seattle. Okay. We were there for three years, and then we came here subsequent to that. Um, So we've been in Ann Arbor since 2011. Okay. Um, And Abby, let's get into uh, a little bit of what, um, what you guys do. Abby... Um, you, so first off, you have, um, a lot of, uh, and a, a wide range of things that you work on. There's a few different things that mm-hmm. caught my eye okay. uh, because you do, um, molecular anthropology, I do. which I guess I didn't realize, um, was a thing. thing. Um, and, and, and what really interests me because I had, um, heard a little bit about this mm-hmm. before was the, um, was the high altitude? Oh yes. Um, is this is this what uh, everyone wants to talk about? No, just, it's just it's a thing I, I love to talk about. I just so. know about weird things, mm-hmm. um, and so so I saw that and I was like, "This is exciting." So uh, tell tell my my listeners why I'm excited right now. What what is this? This is this is kind of evidence for human evolution. You're you're um, look, breaking down the genome mm-hmm. and looking for differences in, in, um, in high-altitude populations yes. and basically why they're able to survive without getting yeah. altitude sickness. Right, and exactly. I, did I just ruin your whole spiel? No, not at all. Uh, I'm so. impressed with your, with your mastery of it, actually. It was well uh, said. I'm, I'm, into, uh, I'm into evolution stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so why don't you tell? Yeah. So the interesting thing about altitude is that there are three places around the globe where humans have lived for an extended period of time in the, in the sense that there has been enough, enough generations living in that environment to actually look at natural selection. So that's the Tibetans and, and other. How long are we talking about? So for the Tibetan plateau, um, one of the places, Upwards of 20,000 years. 
um, based on that's archaeological not, data. That is Mm-mm. that is a tiny little sliver so, in time. Very true. That's, I mean, well, it, it, you know, it, I mean, you hear about um, uh, lactose tolerance, you know, mm-hmm. and just and eight, that's eight thousand eight thousand years. years. So. And then folks in the Andes have been there. Uh, the best, the, the, the most solid dates um, are upwards of about 11,000. And then the Ethiopian plateau is the third place. And that's actually been occupied for what we know for less time than both the Andes and Tibet. Um, so take me through this process a little bit. What I, it, so this is the, uh, I don't know exactly what order I'm releasing these, but this is the 12th podcast that I'm recording. So uh, it would probably help to lay a little groundwork, some um, some basics. Sure. So um, over the past roughly 100 years, altitude physiology has been studied to understand what folks, how folks basically combat that low oxygen pressure that is experienced at elevation. So for example, Denver is a mile high. Um, and oftentimes, you know, you hear people talking about sports teams, oh, and they go and play in Denver. They have trouble breathing. But actually, Denver doesn't even reach our definition as as scientists of what um, is high altitude. I caught the big break that I was talking about was in Aspen in 2007. And um, and just performing, this is just doing stand up, Mm -hmm. not a highly strenuous Mm -hmm. uh, job, Mm -hmm. not not terribly physically demanding. It does require a tolerance for alcohol. But um, <laughs> and, and that can create its own um, evolution, I suppose. Uh-huh. But um, but there was the, there was oxygen tanks backstage. There were wow. a couple of performers like uh, John Mulaney, who has his own show. You may have seen advertised Mulaney uh-huh. has his own huge network show. Just the first episode just came out. Uh-huh. He's this big time comedian who everyone expected to win this um, festival. He got altitude sickness and i did not and i won uh the festival so uh, because apparently my genome is slightly better right you can you can process those oxygen molecules in a way that he can't and so this is nothing compared to right so we're talking about you know 3600 meters twelve thousand feet um and above for the folks on the tibetan plateau and and in the andes and in ethiopia um in the Simian area so for you know for for roughly 100 years, different times, uh, longer in the Andes, less time in Tibet, even less time in Ethiopia, we've started to understand the, the specific adaptions physiologically that these populations um, show that, you know, for example, Tibetans um, have lower hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is the oxygen-carrying co- co- molecule of your blood, whereas Andeans show higher hemoglobin. Um, and so there's all the there's differences right between the Andes and the and Tibet and Ethiopia. So and so let's talk about how how this works, how this natural selection is taking place. Right, I, you're probably moving there. Sorry, no, get it that. on the way. So the idea is that people who can breathe better and process oxygen at altitude will have more offspring, and then that those and then that trait for being able to survive better at oxygen will be proliferate through generations. Um, becoming increased in frequency with time. And this is just this ser- serendipitous kind of mistake, this, uh, this error in copying potentially uh, between reproduction mm-hmm. where, where someone just happens to have a, um, a bit more... Right. Um, uh, sorry, what... what uh, pro- a hemoglo- hemoglobin hem- or hemoglobin. Um, a, a different um, uh, lung response to, the, to breathing. Like you breathe, maybe you breathe more. Mm. Um, your breathing rate could be higher, for example. Um, so it could be serendipitous. It could be a mutation that just occurs in one of these folks who happens to be living at high altitude. Or maybe there was a, a genetic mutation that existed in the population before it moved up. But that potential, that mutation increased in frequency for the same reasons I just said before. Right. Uh, that increased survival of the people who have that change. X-Men. There, X-Men, these are, yes. These are X-Men. It, it will be nice once, because um, I don't know if you, you probably don't run into this too much with what you're doing, but it will be nice once, um, you know, like racism is like a thing that's kind of in the past and we don't have to worry about people being discriminated against mm-hmm. and everything else, because there really is a lot of very interesting genetic differences between populations of people. And now you try to present it and it's like you're saying someone's better or worse for having this type of thing. 
And obviously, that's a, that's not right. what anyone, any Mm-mm. scientist. There's no in the value world judgment attached to um, those statements. It's just, and what what works well in one environment potentially has the uh, will not work well in a different environment. Like um, like melatonin and and um, and dark skinned people and uh, may creating like a natural sunblock mm-hmm. and, and then... Yeah, there's um, reasons you don't want to have light skin in equatorial zones and there's reasons why you don't want to have dark skin in polar regions. Uh, and they're vitamin different. D Vitamin D, folic acid, mm-hmm. sunburn, skin cancer, and they, immune responses. There's these lots. are all things that we should be talk, uh, mm-hmm. I've been talking about before... Before I make the decision to move to back to like Austin, <laughs> Texas or something like that, I might want to be aware that I might get skin cancer. Yeah, but we also have things, you know, that we can do, We right? We can sunblock. take, we can put sunblock on or we can take vitamin D supplements or, Right, I th- well, mm-hmm. I think if I was an African-American living in Michigan, I would want to know, hey, uh, give me some vitamin D. Sure. That would be a very good thing for people to be informed about. Yes. Or for anybody who lives in Seattle. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking as someone who's lived in Seattle. <laughs> um, uh, where are you guys from? Are you from Seattle? Or? No, I grew up in L.A. Oh, okay. Um, so that was a joke earlier when you talked about getting married for papers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yes. Uh, uh, what, what's your, uh, what's your uh, um, ethnicity? My, so my dad is Mexican. My mom is Filipino. Oh, okay. Uh, Mexapino. All right. Cool. And I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. No, I've never been to Pittsburgh. It's a great place. You should go. Um, I, I will. I'll have to check it out. And um, and so so you're off. I mean, I know you do other things as well, but um, I, you're you're off studying these X Men people. Mm-hmm. And uh, ha, are, so are there like any Aquaman around or any? <laughs> that's that's what, when are people gonna start? I, I would think maybe if you can process hemoglobin better, maybe you can hold your breath underwater for longer, better, for longer mm, as well. It might have all sorts of yeah, skills. Totally. Uh, well, let's let's get tested them. <laughs> I um um and uh, and and Jason, you do a lot of um, very interesting um, work with um, with immigrants, especially. I mean, there's there's lots of interesting things about. Um, what you do in examining, um, because I, like most people, when uh, when I heard you were an archaeologist who uh, examines immigrants, that's not you. That you think archaeologists, sure. dinosaurs, or uh, you know, digging up uh, Aztec, you know, stuff like that is what you think of. Uh, and um, but but you're and I'll let you tell. But you're kind of going into these deserts and and um, looking. Uh, this is. Um, looking for people who wish they had their own mutations, like grew humps or something yeah. like that, to, to uh, store water. Store so, water. Um, so what? What? Um, uh, can you talk a little bit about? Um, I, however, sure. You like to introduce it? Um, you know, I've been doing this project, the Undocumented Migration Project, for about five years now, trying to understand what border I'm sorry can you remind me how long have you guys been in Ann Arbor We've here? been here since 2011 oh, so but, okay. but, te- but technically I'm Okay I, so you had started it before coming Started here. at the University oh. of Washington yeah Okay great all right and So a lot of the stuff that's here was moved from from there to here um, but it's a project really focused on understanding what happens during clandestine um, migration undocumented migration illegal immigration but basically what happens physically to people when they cross the US Mexico border particularly through um, um, lately through southern Arizona and so the, the, we look at it in a whole bunch of different ways um, from a forensic science standpoint. So I'm interested in what happens to people who die, what happens to their bodies left exposed. Um, culturally, you know, what are people talking about as they go into the desert? What do they bring with them? Um, what are their experiences? What are the stories that they tell about these processes? But then also, what is the material trace that they leave behind during this process? And so we collect, we basically have just taken archaeology and put it into a contemporary setting to say, People leave stuff behind during this clandestine, highly politicized process, and we can use archaeology to better understand what's going on. Most people, I mean, it's, it's weird on some level if you think about like, oh, c- contemporary archaeology, that seems very strange. Um, but really, at the end of the day, what we do in the desert picking this stuff up is exactly what archaeologists do in other contexts. Mm-hmm. So people who study the Irish experience in the 19th century are, are using the same sorts of tools and theories that we're using to understand this process. The fact, the difference is that the people that I'm studying are still alive and running around and 
can tell me more about this process than than a traditional archaeologist uh, would would be able to access. You get a clearer, more accurate um, picture because you don't you don't necessarily have to guess exactly. Exactly. All, I mean, sometimes you do, of yeah. course. And and you're using a lot of um, you're a bit of a forensic um, scientist. As well. Doing that is, I mean, I just anthropology. I think is it's a discipline. It's got four subdisciplines. So we've got the biological people, so things like Abby, with um, people who look at human human biology, the genome, skeletal sorts of things. We've got people who study language, our linguists. We've got archaeologists who study the past. We've got ethnographers who study sociocultural anthropologists who study contemporary societies. I've just freely stolen from all of them to understand this process. And the forensic science stuff, I mean, it just came out of the fact that, um, you know, we're working on studying a process where people die by the hundreds every year. And there had been a lot of speculation about what happens to bodies in the desert. And so a couple of years ago, I just started working on forensic science stuff. We ran a bunch of experiments to see what happens if you put um, a body in the desert, but we use pigs as a, as a proxy for, for, um, for humans and monitored you know, how quickly animals um, you know, ripped them to shreds. But we've just kind of made it up as we've gone along. Um, Which um, I, I think I, I saw a little bit of a video on your, on your site. Sorry, what is it? It's un, uh, UndocumentedMigrationProject.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's... Um, there's a video on there from I think Nat Geo. Yeah, I think, I think we, should, we showed a little bit and, of that footage. Uh, a couple talks and other things that you did where you showed a little. It, it is pretty amazing. So these so these vultures, they're like they're taking clothes and everything. Yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah. Just, just it's like it's like this person never even existed. They, exactly. I mean, no they, one because I would have thought you're finding all of these bones. I mean, just intuitively, that's what I would have assumed that oh, you're finding decomposed bodies and stuff like that. I never thought of the aspect that these critters are running off. It happened so quick. You know, you can be skeletonized in less than 24 hours and then within a matter of days you can have your pers- you can have your body scattered to the wind. And we've documented ants carrying off fragments of bone into ant hills. Um, you know, coyotes running off with stuff. Don't forget about domestic dogs. Domestic dogs. We have a paper coming out very soon. Um, well, I see. I always thought if you wanted to murder someone, that you had to like go and you go out there, and then you're burying them, and there's all this well, work involved in this. Like, well, don't, you don't have to make it so hard on yourself if you want to kill someone. You just dump them out in the desert and let the yeah, critters. It uh, happens take, really, really take quick. Care of it. I have a big, um, I have a big murderer following, and so, so they're always looking yeah. for tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Yeah, this 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 could be somehow incorporated into the handbook, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and it has. I mean, that the work that had been done previously on the desert stuff had focused really on people who'd been murdered and, and buried out in the desert, um, but f- they they were sort of anecdotes about what had happened, and no one had actually monitored what this process really looked like. And I cut you off when you were talking about dogs. Oh, I mean, you've got domestic dogs that are eating. I mean, one of the th- troubling things that we found is that if you do a map of where migrant bodies have been found, a lot of times they're close to rural residences where people are seeking help to get water. And we monitored all kinds of neighborhood dogs coming and eating these, eating these pig carcasses. I'm positive that, that domestic dogs have eaten people and then run home and, you know, kiss their master on the, on the face. I mean, it's really, when you look at the spatial stuff, it, it's, it's pretty shocking. So if you live in that area and and your dog is like giving you a look like oh this this dog is looking at me so affectionately uh, well maybe it's no it's probably <laughs> hungry it's probably gotten a taste there's yeah uh, it's a, you. like like the like the seal in arrested development if you, if you've seen the show that's a bizarre reference for people um so um so how how much time are you uh, when did you start going uh, oh you know what w- would be just to get a clearer picture uh what are what are we talking about here what area are are people um traveling through what are the circumstances you know it would be great um you and i were in mexico we want to we get ourselves in such a circumstance that we have to sneak into the U.S. How do we how do we go about um, doing this? There's a town in northern Mexico called Altar that's like a it, all they do is smuggle people pretty much. I mean, it, you go to the downtown market and all they sell are camouflage clothes, first aid equipment, water bottles, things that migrants will take into the desert to survive. So you typically start there, hook up with a smuggler, you know, pay them upwards of five, six, seven thousand dollars. And um, they'll take you into the desert and basically say, all right, you're going to walk for four days. 
get past these checkpoints and then we'll we'll drop you off in Tucson and then from there you can you can figure out you know how to get to the next point of uh, the next destination but that's on i mean the US government has made it impossible pretty much to cross anywhere along the border except in these remote areas so Arizona's you know there's no wall in certain parts i mean there's not even you can't even really tell that you're at the border in certain places it's just mountains and why aren't they putting a wall in, in these desert areas is it cheaper to use the desert as a form of deterrence Right. It is. Just, we'll just use a graveyard. And yeah, instead. that's what I mean. That's that's the that is the logic of the of the of the um, enforcement strategy, and that's not me. Like <laughs> my hyper you know hyper liberal sort of thinking. That's federal document stuff that is it laid out. You can get on the internet and you know just Google. That's uh, it's unbelievable. Um, um, and so so when do, first off, do you guys um, work? together at all do you i i mean you're we have at the same university not. okay but we will but we but are we will. i oh, do okay. i do really bad at altitude oh my god you have it's like yes really like, you know they tell you the first thing they say when you get to high altitude and you do bad in a and abby does bad in a desert so you two just aren't meant no to actually to i can together. i do all right in the desert oh really okay. <laughs> well, you know they, they, but they tell you like when, when, when you go to high altitude like don't exert yourself don't drink alcohol so of course First time I went to altitude, we like drank a bunch of alcohol, <laughs> ran around, and I really I, I thought you're gonna have to carry me home. I was just laying on the floor. I mean, literally, I just I couldn't breathe. Uh, yes. I was hyperventilating my sleep. It was yes. really. I mean, altitude oh. sickness is awful. Yeah, I never I've never experienced it, and I used to be a smoker, and I yeah. spent time. And- Some people, I mean, we were there when we were in. Some in, folks don't. Yeah, we were or bl- just minorly, like maybe a little bit of a headache in the morning. Yeah. And how high you go makes a difference, too. Right. We went to 5,000 meters because Abby thought that would be a really great idea, even though I was, like, struggling at, like, <laughs> 3,500 meters. Um, and I was laying on the floor beautiful. of this desert just, like, dying. And there's a woman standing over me, this Polish doctor, who's chain-smoking, going, are you going to be okay? Like, are you all right? You know? And so some people, it just doesn't affect them at all. Um, right. And others. Uh, and there is an, an acclimatization period where your body does start to do things like produce more hemoglobin so you get accustomed to living at altitude just any of us that are not from altitude has that been measured like how yeah Mm -hmm. i figured it has most definitely and and what what kind of shift is possible and so you make you make more hemoglobin um so you have more of those oxygen carrying molecules to cruise that oxygen around to deliver it to your tissues which need it for cellular respiration this Um, probably takes at least maybe a couple weeks by the end of two weeks then. you're you're acc- in that sense you have your 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 bone marrow is produced more red blood cells that's the whole the whole idea behind um ath- athletic training of the sleep high train low type of thing it's sort of like oxygen it's all it's in its own way a type of doping because you're basically boosting the total number of oxygen carrying molecules that you have so you the ah. idea is that you perform better because you can deliver oxygen quicker oh that's interesting and more of it Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. But we aren't working together. But we will. In the past, but we will work together. Next summer. Uh, we're going to run a, a biological anthropology and an ethnoarchaeology field school together in, in southern Mexico. Uh, so, so what is this exactly? So is I'm going to work with Central Americans who are crossing Mexico to get to the northern border. And, okay. I'll, and I'll take students mm-hmm. down. We'll do some archaeology of like what they're leaving behind on tops of these trains interviewing them about what's how they're preparing for this crossing mexico is 10 times worse than the desert it's uh just so brutal um and then abby will and then i'm going to concurrently run a field school for a small group of biological anthropology undergraduates um looking at normal phenotypic variation among mexicans um in the same area where where jason is working so i i guess i didn't realize um my my confusion with um uh, molecular anthropology mm-hmm. was I, I didn't realize those were things that were combined because a molecular level and and right. uh, and just observing mm-hmm. a person with your eye that's that seems like two such extreme right but we have to but what we do as molecular anthropologists is um, especially I think folks who do the anthropology side of human genetic human human genomics work is that we do work with 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 populations um and we go and we work with them and we do field work um and we collect um we collect data for our studies to understand um human variability and variation and then we bring um the samples that have been donated by the participants back to our laboratories at our in our universities and that's where we do the data analysis Mm. so we actually 
do a lot of field work too. So um, in the high altitude stuff, mm -hmm. you're, so are are these are are these uh, like these Sherpas that you're talking sure, about? Sure, and, and these are people that just mole uh, mm -hmm. just have a different genome mm -hmm. than the rest of us. Yes. So because here, you know, you always think, well, these these um, these rich bastards are going over there and paying someone to lug all of their crap up for them, and they're not they're not actually going up there; they're cheating. But they're they're using X Men like a normal person mm -hmm. wouldn't be able they are to. Using X -Men. They're <laughs> to, using the Sherpa X Men to, to do that, which is um, I I I mean, so I I guess it like just kind of makes sense sure. that, that you would if you aren't physically mm -hmm. your genetics aren't suited for that. Is there anything? like that uh, with crossing the desert? Are there people that are just like really experienced? Are you maybe going to be finding out like people that have crossed uh, a bunch of times, like find figuring out? Like, I won't be. Genes? I don't know if that's something we could do. Um, but I mean, there definitely have to be certain. Well, if someone has like maybe a, a higher tolerance for heat or something sure. like Absolutely. that or yes. water retention, yes. there, so there yes. has to be some sort of variation. And then someone that's like, oh, they're they're doing this twice a year just like it's a vacation mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. You know, people will say that. I mean, because I work with, with migrants from all kind of walks of life, urban, rural, um, middle class, you know, camp, you know, farmers, and people will say like, yeah, you know, I'm just a, I'm a school teacher from Mexico City. I'm, I, I do not, I'm not, um, I don't have the like physical capacity like these people who work, who work outside for a living, you know? I mean, they're, you know, I've seen people crossing the desert in flip-flops and the bottoms of their feet are, are Callous because they work outside. They maybe don't wear shoes or own a pair of shoes. Um, so people, I mean, depending on your kind of background, I think um, you know there are things that um, that certain people are you know have higher tolerances for for suffering and for physical pain. So you will, you can see that amongst mm -hmm. even migrant populations. And that could just be from different life history. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, yeah, like the difference in altitude conditioning and um, being genetically predisposed. Uh, so. Um, I'm curious. So, what is this journey? So, so people they get this gear, they leave from this. What's the name of the city? Altara. Altara. And now, now, what are we talking about? What's ahead of us? I got my camouflage. What What have I got? What kind of supplies? You got a camouflage backpack. You're wearing all black. Um, is this helping? Is this actually keeping them hidden? Not really. Okay. Because because I mean, I, so I, I've written about like the how the technology. Doesn't doesn't really work, um, or it's sort of neutral, or actually sometimes it's actually really it's, yeah, it's, harming, it's, it's harming people. So like imagine if you're wearing all black in the desert and you're trying to avoid being dehydrated, and your body temperature is heating up so much more because right. you're wearing all black. You know, um, you're carrying a black plastic water bottle instead of a white one because it's supposed to be less visible. I mean, we've measured that it gets up to about 140 degrees if you leave it in the sun for an hour. Um, so you're cooking your you know you're you're heating up your temperature your water to the temperature of your um, you know your shower or uh, or higher. Um, but it doesn't, I mean, but Border Patrol, like if they use infrared, it picks up heat signatures. Right. So if you're emitting more heat, you're actually <laughs> yeah. more visible on some of these cameras. And, and so they are still in these areas. They're still patrolling a bit. Are they like little, using but, but drones? But some, or are they... They'll use drones. They'll use, you know, um, um, remote cameras. But they'll let people walk for several days before they catch them. Because if, if, if you were to hop the fence and I caught you and said, all right, we're sending you right back to Mexico. Let's try you'll try again in 10 minutes. But if, if I catch you three days later... And you're exhausted. You've been bit by a rattlesnake. You've fallen down a ravine. You know, I catch you, send you back. You're less likely to try that again, or so the thinking goes. But people, what a bunch of assholes. But, oh, it's a, it's, it's brutal. It's um, so they just let them suffer, knowing that they're going. Let's yeah. let them suffer for a while. Yep. First, before. And that has that's been that's, that's been documented so many times by so many different people. Um, okay, so so I'm. I'm with you. You're an expert. We're going to get. What are we getting? We're getting. Let, let's get some maybe some lighter clothing. Some. How much water are we taking with us? What What do we have? Uh, how many days are we talking? Let's say four to five days. Okay. So you can't. There's no way to carry enough water for that in the in the middle of the summer. Migrants typically carry less than two gallons. Uh, because it's just too hard to carry. You can only physically probably carry four gallons maximum, and that's two in your backpack and one in each hand. We're not talking hiking backpacks. We're talking little, not even Jansport. Backpacks. Oh yeah, I'll show you here. You know, Hold they on. don't have right. Just just shoulder, just shoulder harnesses. Yeah. Nothing um, around the waist. Small. Jason's getting me a um, a little uh, camouflage. Uh, he he's 
Uh, here's a black water jug um, and a white one wrapped in whatever. It's like a, a sack of burlap, burlap sack and um, and a camouflage um, bag here. And and so so this is what we're taking with yeah, us pretty much. for a five day journey. We'll get you and, some- I, and I have these crappy pairs, uh, pair of shoes that, oh, yeah. I, that I, these I'm just now looking at the details mm-hmm. of these shoes, and every one of them is just a, like no. There, you would you would never see a single person wearing shoes like this in uh, in the U.S. This is a pair of shoes I'm looking at right now. The soles are tied back on with shoelaces, and then tied to uh, to the. The the shoelaces and these are these are women's shoes are, yeah. are they not yeah uh, there's a there's a pink Nike so I like that they still gotta have the Nike uh, yeah they still gotta support yeah. the, uh, the, they're, the they're, brand to impress but they're, but, they're not but, Nike but they're knockoff so if you look inside you can oh that's 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 really funny though that you you're still like trying to impress people with it, and uh, this is unbelievable and and this is so what I'm looking at I, I'll take a couple pictures and put it on the site. Um, Right now, is there's a sole from like a different shoe? No, that, it's the same shoe. It's just it's just separated. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, me. and so she has tried to. No, because because it shrink it. The sun, the, the sun ah. will the sun will will damage this stuff pretty quick. And 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 so and so they're trying to tie their their uh, horrible shoes mm. back together. That's I, a, here's a bra strap. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> it's a. Uh, so you can learn a lot, MacGyver. You can learn a lot about this process by just looking at the stuff that's left behind, you know? Yeah, this is yeah. Am- uh, amazing. So so I don't even understand. And you're saying, so like one person a day is dying, that's it? How, how many people a day are 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 going through? Um, hundreds. I mean, right now, we probably get about 150,000 people crossing a year. And that's low. It, at one point, it peaked at about 2,000 when it was over 600,000 who had been caught. So the, those numbers, you know, that's only who has been physically caught by Border Patrol. So it doesn't include people who have gotten away. Um, it also doesn't correct for double apprehension. People who have been caught twice or people who die. Um, over, I would say, really? you're averaging minimal. You're, you're averaging probably one person dies a day doing this stuff. But um, hundreds are caught a day in the, in the process. Um, yeah. And we don't know the we we average over over 200 a year in deaths in Arizona alone Texas is starting to it's the new kind of crossing point and we don't know those are just bodies that are found so we've argued that if they get they disappear because animals have eaten them you know we're under we're actually undercounting the the numbers of fatalities My, uh, okay so so we got these these um generic nike's uh, uh a little kids backpack and and two chugs of water, and this is for a four to five day trip through the desert. What what temperature? Hundred, hundred and hundred and five depends on the time of year, but you can get up to one hundred and ten in parts of South Tucson mm-hmm. or south of Tucson, and some parts of the desert can get up to one hundred and twenty degrees. I don't understand how a single person is making this. So, hey, uh, how many um, how many people are making it through? Uh, uh, for for like every one that gets caught, you have like just a crazy ballpark. I'm not going to hold you to this. Uh, any crazy estimation of of how many are getting through per person that's caught? The there was a study that was done out of UC San Diego that that so people get caught and they keep trying again. And the more you get caught, the smarter you get about the whole process. And so. Um, their estimate, based on these multiple surveys, was that between 92 and 98 percent of people who try to cross the desert, try to cross the border, get through. Wow! So no. overnight, uh, over 90 percent success rate. So, and you know how much um, the U.S. is spending? Oh, billions of dollars a year. So billions of dollars. This is incredibly ineffective. Against some cheap Nike sneakers and a black water bottle. You know, you can't, you, it's the human, it's determination, you know, and like the poverty that are driving people that no amount of drones or, or desert or anything else is going to stop that flow of people. As long as we want people to do the work that we don't want to do and we're willing to pay them, you know, people are going to come. It's interesting because you'll hear the same people that are against immigration making 
um, you know, debates about, you know, gun control or anything else. Be like, well, prohibition didn't work. You can't, <laughs> uh, you know, keep the government out of it. Let people do whatever they want to do. And, and, um, and, and then yet here's this uh, anti-immigration that many of these same people are, are very much for trying to keep immigrants oh. out. And you're wasting all of these resources on something that's getting two to eight percent of of people. It, it wait, what do you? I mean, it, what what's the solution to this? Do you do you just make it easier for people uh, to immigrate? And, and and the other thing is, I, I mean, you don't have to speculate. I don't mean to make things, um, mm. uh, you know, feel free. Um, I, I, I encourage it, but, I, you know, some people are, uh, often scientists are I make up shit all the time. It's fine. Yeah. Political and whatnot. It, yeah this, well, you this can't is, do this stuff without having to engage with politics, so it's a... Uh, right. Yeah. Um, because, one, I, I mean, a couple, a couple of my, uh, the things that it makes me think is, one, aren't some of these Mexicans, don't they have other, other options? Couldn't they fly to, like, a different country that has some easier or are there just not any countries that are any easier to get into as far as like as far as legally um you know there are some i mean like but it's getting that plane ticket you know uh, so, the, so the ticket can be a limiting factor but also a lot of people ha- already have family here right you know so and so there's there's a long history of family. you know and they're the ones who are paying for them to come um, so, you know, there's, we estimate 12 million undocumented people in this country, you know, who have these connect, that's who people are going to, to be with, you know, to reunite with family members. Um, and, you know, so, and there's this, there's a long, I mean, we've been, we've been importing labor from Mexico for a hundred years. And mm-hmm. so this is just a new, the newest kind of version of it. Um, but people, I mean, like I work with people who like Ecuadorans will go to like Spain, they'll, they'll migrate to the EU and try to work there. Okay. Um, if, if they can get, if they can get in. Um, but a lot of times it's, Getting just the the travel visa can be difficult. Um, yeah, I, I mean it, it's still to me it's like a five day trip through the desert where there. I mean it's the desert. You know ahead of time. I mean there isn't a single person going in there that somewhere in their mind they're thinking I might I might die right yeah, yeah. now. <laughs> like you just have to know that going in there they're going for it anyway. And this is this is to work for. Uh, little, yeah. little to no money. I mean, this is like, like uh, we we make fun of like Mick Jobs. Uh, the, these are people that wish they had. Uh, this is a yeah. Mick dream of oh, theirs yeah. to have to have a Mick Job, and and they're they're coming here working and um for uh no. You know what drives me crazy with some of this stuff is is you hear all sorts of there's these. Illegal immigrant, or uh, you know, they like to call them illegal aliens, to make sure that everyone knows that they're these different freaks that aren't humans and shouldn't be treated like, uh, 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 you know, like decent human beings. But um, uh, the the idea that uh, people, it's fine for people to employ these people. Sure. And uh, I mean, every job that I had. If I have to fill out my social security number and everything else. Just I'm a stand-up comedian. I tell dick jokes, and mm. I still have to fill out this paperwork. What about these employers yep. that aren't filling out any of this stuff? How come none of these guys get a hard time? And now these contractors are undercutting people that are trying to do it right because they're essentially getting slave labor, and they're and 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 these immigrants are in a situation where they can't complain about anything because. Their boss might just report sure. them if they don't do uh, what they say, and and um, and then and then you got these. So now you got farmers that are getting uh, cheaper crops be, because of this, and they wouldn't be able to sustain without it. But now you're taking these cheaper crops, you're actually exporting them to Mexico, yes. yeah. and now the Mexicans can't compete with this because. Uh, because the crops are so cheap, because they have to go to Mexico yeah. to work. At so now the they got to migrate to go, and it's, you know it's. I a, mean, it's, it's absurd. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems it seems like so hopeless. I I know yeah. that there's things that we can do, but it's just so frustrating. Um, I wish I had it here. I think so. We the Smithsonian just took about 300 artifacts for this exhibit that they're going to do on American immigration history um, coming up. 
But they um they took I found a wallet once this border crosser's wallet and, and in it it was like his ID his driver's license you know a, a little bit of money but he had one of these um you know when you go to Roswell New Mexico you can buy like the alien driver's mm-hmm. license he had one of those in his wallet <laughs> it was amazing uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah and so this guy had his well I mean so you know I think even the people who are in the midst of it oftentimes recognize the kind of irony and the ridiculousness of this whole thing but yeah, well, that's a lot of comedy comes out of suffering. Oh, and coping I mean, mechanism. migrants are hilarious. I mean, I, I just have just finished this book, and, and someone was saying like, yeah, I laughed a lot in, part, in certain parts of it, and I didn't think I would. And it's like, well, you know, these guys are pretty funny. I mean, they're t- they're they're making light of the situation because that's the, that's the. Wait, easy, you the, finished writing a book? Yeah, I just did. Yeah. Oh, oh. Wait, what's the name? It, it doesn't have. It doesn't, it doesn't have, have a, a name. Yeah, yet. nobody. Oh, okay. title it's, well, it's forthcoming. I hope so. <laughs> do you do you have a ballpark of when it's going to be out? Or? It'll be out fall of 2015. Okay, well, yeah. I'll make sure and you know post. Mm-hmm. But this got a lot of like migrant dick jokes and others. I mean, migrants are pretty funny. I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like anybody. I mean, that's well. At least I tend to gravitate towards people who who like to tell jokes and laugh, and so uh, um, that kind of comes up quite a bit in these narratives. Mm. Uh, um. So so. I've, Abby, yes. I almost called you Abigail. Which you can, which is, name. yeah, that's, 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 that's legit. Um, <laughs> so, so your biological, anthro, um, anthropological work over um, where this new, uh, sorry, where is it again that you're? Palenque, Chiapas, Mexico. Okay, and what's the name of the school that you'll be? Um, um, well, the program will be run through the institute. It's called the Institute for Field Research. Okay. Um, but you can get, um, you know, IFR is this nonprofit that kind of oversees all, like a whole bunch of field schools. Mm. So we, we run through them. Yeah, we're running both of our field schools through that organization mm. and at the same time. Okay. So. And, and so what are you, when you're looking at their genome, what are you? So part of this is motivated by we, in order to really understand high altitude biology, we also have to understand low altitude biology. Mm. And if we want to look at Andeans, um, and understand their biology in particular, then we want to look at closely related low-altitude groups, but low-altitude groups that also, that we know, have never possibly lived at high altitude because we don't really know the peopling of South America, and we don't know who's lived at high and who's lived at low, and the Inca Empire moved everybody around. Mm. So by going to Central America, um, we can ensure that those folks that um, we ask to work with us have not lived at high altitude. So this is sort of a comparative um, aspect to the high altitude works where we're going to go down and ask people to um, ride bikes and to um, breathe into particular types of tubing so we can measure um, various lung phenotypes (laughs) um, and their arterial oxygen saturation and so forth. And then we can use, that'll be great because then they'll be... um, a uh, contr- uh, low altitude control group to compare the high altitude Andean data with. Ah, so it's because what what's the what's the genetic advantage? I mean, we talk about um, uh, black people, white people having this skin cancer versus vitamin D sure. deficiency. So, so what's the what is the um, what's going on with the low altitude? What why why doesn't everyone just have this right. hemoglobin? Right, because our we. Um, well, the answer to your question is I don't know. <laughs> Truly, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Okay. I mean, there's there's definitely changes in the genomes of Andeans that have occurred in their genomes that have that occurred since the time that they've been living at altitude um, that that don't that don't exist in in low altitude populations because they didn't need it. So there was no selective pressure to. to for evolution that would operate on those traits because they didn't confer a selective advantage. So if you had it or you didn't have it, your your um, offspring contribution to the next generation wasn't going to be influenced whatsoever. And that's really what we're getting at. What we're getting at, ah. you know, evolution um, in, from gener- how it works from gen- in human population from generation. And that's I think is the most fascinating part of it is that you have this thing where people who say I don't believe in evolution, you know, like well, you like flying in airplanes and taking antibiotics, yeah. you know. But it's like these are examples. Like mm. this mm-hmm. is this is we're watching it happen. We're watching we're watching this whole process kind of unfold. Mm-hmm. You know, in in a really short amount of time. Yeah, I don't, I, how is it that if we all? Uh, I mean, obviously we all came from Adam and Eve. How are the, how do <laughs> some of these people have super lungs yeah. and others don't? I don't I don't understand how this uh, this, yeah. this can take place. Um, 
so I, I'm, I'm trying to think of some dumb joke about Adam and Eve not chirping <laughs> something. I don't know. Uh, um, but uh, we'll, we'll work on that maybe at, and after the fact. Do you guys ever... Um, so, uh, you've been married since 2007. Yes. Um, so, you get done... So, you're kind of working in these two different facets of... of Sort of the, the, you know, you're both anthropologists. Sure, we're both anthropologists. Working on um, two really kind of very different things. Yes. Um, so you get home at the end of the day. Do you talk about work, not talk about work? Oh. Are you excited about what each other do? <laughs> Are you sick to death? That you're sick of it, aren't no, you? No, no. Actually, not it? not at all. Oh, you're better, um, but you're I better definitely, people than me. I definitely think that um, we talk a lot more about Jason's work than my work. Mm. Not for any other reason that he needs to talk about it a little bit more than I need to. I'm and, all, and so yeah. you're like, oh, these poor Mexicans. I'm dealing yeah. with X-Men now. I'm, trying, I'm making super babies for the future. I'm trying to help these Mexicans get humps so that they can cross it. We won't even need you 20 years from now. Exactly. Yep. 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 Totally. Uh, Oh, Mr. National Geographic. Mm -hmm. Droning on about those migrants again. (laughs) But I think that actually works well because I don't necessarily want to talk too much about work when I come home. And Jason, I think, in many ways needs to talk about work when he comes home. So I think that balance actually works sort of well for the two of us. Is it just um, like emotionally draining sometimes, or no? I think it, it wouldn't. Well, it, it is. And it it is, it's it is, true. It wouldn't matter what you were doing. Yeah, I think I'm just like on. Just I'm in, chatty, and I'm just in work mode all the time. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I don't think about it as work. I think about it as like I'm. I mean, I ask because I'm uh, similar, and mm-hmm. every every relationship that I've ever had, it's. It's very fun for a lady at first to be like, oh, I have this joke idea and, you know, I'm, I'm working on this right now. And I had this funny idea and and like, you know, the first couple of months, I'm like, yeah, just tell me to shut up when you want me to because you're going to get. Why would I ever get sick of laughing? <laughs> oh, believe me, <laughs> yeah. you will get sick of it because I'm workshopping. um uh, not Adam and Eve Sherpa and yeah. Steve jokes, and you're like, you're still working on this for three <laughs> days, and this is getting nowhere. It's not getting any laughs, and you're still obsessed with this. And I, I would, I would think there must be a, a little bit of that. Sometimes I say, time. my brain can't think about that right now. We're gonna have to talk about uh, it later. And then I, and then I get sad and, and quiet. Get, yeah, and then, and sometimes this, the, the statement is. Well, fine, I don't have to tell you about it anyway. I said, no, I want to hear about it. I just don't want to hear about it right now. And actually, I'm a really poor multitasker. Okay. I'm very poor at multitasking. And so so sometimes when I'm trying to do things at home, like, for example, cook, and Jason wants to have a complicated conversation, I can't have that complicated conversation at that moment in time. And but his response often is, what do you mean you can't multitask? You do complicated things all day long. Uh, so back when you had the afro, you were, I would say you were you were a bit more adorable, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. not and now you're like more of a handsome, hunky uh, <laughs> fella. Yeah, I, I wonder if this is uh, this uh, if there's a feedback loop often. If this affects, did you find that he was poutier back in the in, in the, the afro, afro days? days? Mm. Why don't you hear about my? <laughs> we talked more about his hair. Yeah, right with now. the afro, there was a lot of hair talk, and she's like, "I'm really, I'm done." What's going into an afro? Like, what, what do you do? You like, how does it look? Is it okay like this? Is I it? I know, but yeah. I don't know anything. How do you build an afro? You just let her go. Let her go. Does it naturally? Let, let, let if I let my hair go, it would be the silliest <laughs> looking. I just have this weird. I mean, I couldn't have an afro. Yeah, right. Unless I used product. So you know what. Hmm. You gotta, you gotta take a look at his genome, see what's yeah. going in on there. Yes, exactly. You can make some we afro can. babies. I'm yes. hoping that our son is gonna have a little afro. He very well might. But I, I, are, are you expecting? No, we have a, we have a one and a half year old. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Iggy. Um, I don't know why. That was why the, the mom. That was mm, our pet. Our new pet. That was you, our new you, pet. You were like, we have a new little friend. <laughs> I've never heard anyone explain a baby <laughs> as a little <laughs> friend. Well, he's a friendly guy. He's a friendly fellow. Yeah, he's yeah. a friendly guy. <laughs> um, he's a good time. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, he does not like work talk. He's like, yeah. 
Uh, no. oh, well, you can put him right to sleep. Yeah, he's like, yeah, hey, yeah. Sure. Right, there you yeah. Go. We don't talk to him about work. Um, so he he's uh, you're hoping he's gonna have an afro. It's you too, definitely it's are too hoping. late to get in there and mess with the genome. It's are, too late. It's too late. What, what, what do you think about all this stuff? What do you think about the 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 future of this? Uh, you, you know, people are people are scared with the stem cell implants. You know, I just gonna, showed uh, a clip. Uh, I think it's an outtake from a Gattaca scene um, in a course that I teach here at University of Michigan. Um, and it's a couple goes in to the uh, to the doctor, so to speak, and he has a a small um, petri dish of fertilized eggs, little mm-hmm. zygotes, and he talks about you know we've selected in. Um, a male that has these traits and we, for a little bit extra money, we can boost the, uh, the intelligence. We can give them, um, perfect pitch or, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's something that people really, really think about. Um, and it's been, you know, popularized in that sense via science fiction. Um, but I mean, today we can, you know, if you have, um, a, uh, a history of a genetic disease, if you're a carrier for a, a genetic disease, um, you can, you know, ha- you can you can do um, in vitro screening. I didn't know that. Sure. Um, pre well, pre-implantation genetics. Mm. So you can pull one of the cells from the blastocyst, uh, sequence it for its genomic um, anomalies that would potentially cause a problem. Um, and choose the choose the fertilized eggs that do not have those. Yeah, I mean, this sounds so scary to people. I I it love it my, myself. <laughs> I mean, just uh, in, in my mind, mm-hmm. it's we're all doing this already. Just a horrible job of it. You're sure. you're looking at him. You're like, yeah, I want these little afros around. Sure, absolutely yeah. right. We're doing yeah. it at a, on a on a on a, a mate. Mate choice level. But when we're at home and we talk about this, this is where I turn into Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. Ah. Like, you know, like, I cannot believe that you people are doing this stuff Ah. and no one is thinking about the ramifications of... well, I mean, it's true. Say, say, uh, you you know, in in past episodes, I've talked about um, um, uh, the the adaptive um, purposes of kind of negative emotion and all of this stuff. So... So uh, if you're saying, you know, what do you want in a baby? Well, I just want my baby to be happy. Well, maybe you could alter a, a genome to to make uh, more of a a higher resting rate of dopamine release or, sure. or whatever it is, and so that now you do have like a happier, more outgoing. <laughs> but yeah. but. But you don't know if that actually is a good thing for yeah. the modern environment. Maybe this is the annoying guy that is always on and won't shut up, and mm-hmm. and and he's he's too hopeful and and uh, jumps off of ledges that are much too high while hiking and breaks both of his heels and is on crutches <laughs> in the uh, University of Michigan. I was going to ask what happened, um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a bit too optimistic. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, I think almost anyone will be like, of course I want a healthy baby. Yeah. Get rid of, I mean, that makes perfect sense to get rid of, uh, these. Sure. But um, you could make the argument. I mean, that, um, uh, we need the mistakes. We yeah. need, we need the, we need to keep the, right. the gene and, pool diverse. Right. We need stupid people we can, just we can, like we need smart people. We can yeah. learn a lot from, from people who. I don't think we're going to run out of yeah. <laughs> dumb people I, and mistakes. Not, not we're, anytime we're, soon. No. I, we, we have them a plenty. Yeah. And they, right seem, they seem to be in charge of the scientific funding anyway. So <laughs> that's, that's what we're, uh, that's what we're uh, <laughs> dealing with these days. Uh, slam your bosses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, because I'm, I'm like, just make me a super baby. I don't want a you baby. Would, you, would, you would you do can, the super baby. Oh route. yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, give it, like you said, if there's no, um, foreseeable, um, problems, um, it, there's uh, a super baby. Hello, hey, super what's baby. Up? <laughs> hello friend. Um, you know, you're okay. Um, so I I would uh, we we just got uh, interrupted by uh, uh, 
super baby gentleman that just <laughs> walked in, which none of this talk makes any sense to him. So yeah, it's a very confused look on his face. I would I would go give my baby super lungs. Um, a mustache? I, I would go, mm-hmm. oh, you want to... Oh, just man. come out with a mustache. That would be amazing. If, if, you, if you could have a baby with a mustache, <laughs> especially if you were... Uh, <laughs> no, he's so intrigued. We're doing, we're doing science over here. <laughs> this is very serious scientific work. Um, it, it, here, because... No, we're, no, we wish we're, we're genetically engineering a new baby with yeah, facial hair. Yeah. We're designing the perfect. Yeah, I live in L.A. If you if you could have a mustached baby, you're rich. You throw that sucker in front of a camera. It's it's amazing. YouTube's channel. Yeah, they're doing news stories Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Yeah, I I, okay. So I'm trying now. Now I just want to decide how I want my baby. Um, you know what? Uh, I, I'm going to lose track of time. It is 3.07 right okay. now. Should we, we should probably wrap up. Okay. Um, we, we'll, we'll wrap up for you. Uh, I, I'll tell you what, we, because Jason has to get out of here. Uh, he's, he's a little too busy for a super baby. I got to go pick up the super baby. He has That's, to go get the super oh, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we to get we the had better uh, get going. Okay. Um, sorry. I do this to all of my guests. I, I beg and plead for them to stay on because I'm having such a... Uh, a lovely and you did this with with Debbie Bame recently yes I did she's who I found uh, you guys through Mm -hmm. and um, um, and that I need to do another one with her because it turns out she's like a wizard person and I was a little bit confused about it she's like walking around and killing off animals left and right with her aura I don't know (laughs) if she ever told you about all of that she did not it was a oh with the the Oh, that's right. The, the, uh, and then she had to like spit eye, on, yeah. yes, to, like, yes. spit on mm-hmm. people's pets. Yes, yep. yes, yeah. There's. A certain- I was so dumbstruck by all of it, and I was uh, that I was like, huh. I, I, I don't know what to say to any of them. No. Now I have a lot of questions. Well, I think if you ask anthropologists, like, for weird stories, I mean, we're the ones who have, like... A lot of... A lot of crazy shit happens yes. in the field, and it's, yes. you know... We'll uh, have you guys on uh, again um, sometime, and we'll we'll figure out what we want in a super baby. We'll talk some uh, crazy anthropology stories. Um, and uh, uh, first up... Oh, Charity of the Week. Oh, yes, Charity of the Week. We would like people to donate money to the uh, Colibri Center for Human Rights, which is based in southern Arizona. Um, it, it actually, it's housed at the Tucson, um, the Pima County Office of the Medical Examiner. And basically, um, they work with people who have gone, whose family members have gone missing in the desert. So they, do, they help with the missing persons reports. And then they um, take those reports and try to compare them to recovered bodies to... Um, you know, help families re- reconnect with the human remains of, of loved ones. And, and our friend Robin Reinecke um, uh, has been working there for a long time, started the center officially, I guess, about two years ago now. So they're, they're a new nonprofit that's, um, that's been working on this issue for almost a decade now. This is amazing. You know, we talked about kind of how hopeless this situation is. And even in, like, the darkest of, dark, uh, you know, someone's lost their life, there's a, there is little things that we can do. You can help sure. bring closure uh, to a family. So go to it's Colibri Center, I believe dot com. But if you just type I'll in, post uh, the link on the website and everything as well. If you go to, you're going to finish your um, no, no. So yeah, they, 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 people can just can just Google search um, Colibri Center, C O L I B R I. And um, did you guys? I, I forgot to ask this ahead of time. I can edit this part, but uh, did did you want me to direct people toward uh, your your work at all? Um, do you want people to check out? Sure. Your, uh, where, where should people go? To so actually, your- the anthropology website um, has a link to my personal lab website, where all of our current research is is there, and papers that have published in the past are all posted and. Great. I'll I'll post that in in Jason's and uh, and Jason, you have your own website and the undocumented um, migrationproject.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, com and and uh, also you're on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? I am not a uh, Twitter, Twitter good Twitter for lady. you, uh, Jason. I saw fairly active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, go go and and keep up with his. Uh, like you said, he won't shut off. Yeah. About, uh, it's nonstop. <laughs> like really, again. Go on and get yeah. some uh, some really cool mm. information. He's posting all sorts of um, uh, news links and stories and studies and and his own thoughts. 
go and check that at it's Jason underscore P underscore De Leon. So easy enough. To yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the links will be yeah. on my site. Thank you guys so much. It's lovely to meet you. It's a pleasure. For thank you. Yeah. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Go to the Here We Are Podcast.com website. You can write me at the Ask a Scientist section and send me some feedback, uh, things that you want to hear and learn about in future episodes and stuff like that. I look forward to hearing from you guys. And make sure and tune in next week. I have uh, quite a character on the show. Uh, my new friend, Hillary Anger Elfenbein. Um, bit of a mouthful. And and uh, so is she. She is a firecracker. Um, <laughs> so, uh, who talks about a mile a minute and, uh, and has uh, the most enthusiasm. Uh, out of any guest that I've interviewed, and she was an absolute delight. So make sure and tune in next week. And Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a, I'm a bat. bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich- I don't know what you want from me. And my, uh, and my, my re- girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my- 